of iBuzz. Today, I am delighted to have Dr. Jason Work with us on the podcast. He is the animal welfare scientist at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, and Jason is part of Lincoln Park Zoo's Animal Welfare Science Program, a program through which scientists and animal care staff work together to evaluate and enhance the well-being of animals in the zoos and also promote positive animal welfare. Jason also oversees the ongoing volunteer-based behavioral monitoring program at Lincoln Park Zoo and works alongside animal care staff to translate this data into actionable insights to help animals thrive in the zoo environment. Jason also manages the development of the Zoo Monitor app, a web-based tool to measure behavior and infer the welfare of animals, which we're going to hear a lot about today. Jason regularly provides guidance and training on how other institutions can use Zoom Monitor to advance welfare. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Serena. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here and, and chat with you and share Zoom Monitor with your audience. Yes, absolutely. Delighted to have you. Of course, we will make sure when the podcast is launched that there will be links to the Zoom Monitor app and, of course, to Lincoln Park Zoo and any other documents that you would like to share with us. But first things first, maybe you can do a short introduction of yourself for those of you listening that haven't heard of your work yet, Jason. Yeah, of course. Um, so as you said, I'm an animal welfare scientist uh, in Lincoln Park Zoo's animal welfare science program. And so I've been at Lincoln Park Zoo now for uh, five years. And my main role is the product manager for the Zoo Monitor app. Um, which I'm sure we're going to be getting into in much more detail, but briefly that is an app that we developed at Lincoln Park Zoo uh, to record behavior and space use of animals. And sort of in addition to that, I, I oversee the zoo's um, ongoing behavioral monitoring program, which uh, involves that team of trained volunteers that use that Zoo Monitor app and uh, systematically record behavior on our animals so we can provide those insights to the managers. Wonderful. And before you came to Lincoln Park Zoo, what did you study? I mean, how a lot of people, you know, listening to the podcast might be in animal care welfare. They might want a career in animal welfare science or students. How did you come uh, to work at Lincoln Park Zoo and also the position that you're in? Yeah, that's uh, a great question. So I guess I've always been very much an animal focused uh, person. Um, growing up, I did a uh, sort of a zoo summer internship thing at the Philadelphia Zoo. Um, and really just fell in love with, uh, fell in love with animals, fell in love with the zoo. Um, before joining Lincoln Park Zoo, I did my graduate work in a joint program at uh, Cleveland Metro Park Zoo and Case Western Reserve uh, University, and that's in Cleveland, Ohio. And that was a really um, interesting, unique uh, collaborative program between the university and the zoo. Um, it was a very uh, special sort of program that was started by Dr. Kristen Lucas that um, has basically students employed as full-time uh, research staff at the zoo. So my indoctrination into the zoo world started very early into that graduate program. Um, but then you're also, you know, working towards your graduate uh, studies and also your, um, your coursework at the university, which is really great. And while at um, 
Cleveland Metro Parks do, I got to study a wide range of taxa. I mean, that's certainly the uh, benefit of, you know, being a researcher in a zoo is there's no end of questions that you would have um, for, for your studies. Um, and so I looked at, uh, you know, things like behavioral thermoregulation in colobus monkeys, uh, wheel running in uh, FUSA, um, aggression in piranhas. So really kind of spanning a gamut of some different taxa and types of questions there. Um, for my dissertation, when I finally had to focus and graduate, um, there I studied, uh, focused on the influence of sound on the welfare of calitricid monkeys, um, and specifically looking at things like waterfall noise and music. And I guess just in general, that's been sort of one of my main interests is um, sound and the environment in general and impacts on welfare. Um, and, you know, my, my interest in the uh, calitricids, tamarins, and marmosets and such really started um, before before graduate, uh, before starting graduate school with, um, at Penn State University where I did my undergraduate, I worked as a psychology lab manager there with cotton top tamarins um, and just really, really grew to love those little monkeys and was really happy to have an opportunity to study them at uh, Cleveland Metro Parks. Wonderful, it sounds like such a varied background with working in zoos and research facilities, university, lots of background. And of course, like you say, sound is so important and it's so understudied. So really fascinating. Unfortunately, not the topic for today, but uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Actually, did you come from your graduate students straight into, these, in the, into this welfare science program at the zoo or did you do another step in between? I did, yeah. So um, I did take a few years from undergraduate to graduate school when I was working in that psychology lab. Um, but the, my first position at Lincoln Park was actually a postdoc position. And that was um, really kind of where I started. And that has sort of evolved as our animal welfare science program has evolved um, at Lincoln Park into the animal welfare scientist position I'm in now. Wonderful. So how many people are in this program that you have, the science program, specifically with regards to animal scientists? Yeah, we have a pretty, um, a pretty small team. So it is, um, the head of our team is uh, Dr. Uh, Katie Cronin. Um, she's our senior animal welfare scientist at Lincoln Park Zoo. Um, there's myself as our other animal welfare scientist. And then we also have um, Tasha Wierzel, who is our um, Zoo Monitor Research Associate, who helps um, a ton and does amazing stuff with our volunteers and really a lot of that uh, training aspect to kind of keep our on-grounds monitoring program running along. That's wonderful. I mean, it's so great when zoos and aquariums or other facilities have a dedicated animal welfare science program. So that's wonderful. And Dr. Katie Cronin was one of the webinar presenters on the Practical Animal Welfare Science platform. So uh, very delighted to all of you working together. And so when you started working in the science program, how did you come to the Zoo Monitor app? Actually, you know, what is the history of Zoo Monitor? Why did it was developed, who developed it, you know, all, the, all those nitty gritty questions. Yeah, yeah, so ZooMonitor was developed um, by Lincoln Park Zoo and it was released back in 2016. Um, we currently have over uh, 300 institutions from more than, I think we're over 30 countries uh, around the world using the app. So since, uh, since we've released it, it's definitely grown um, very quickly, much more than maybe even we expected at the time. Um, and really the sort of the origin story of where, where it came from um, starts back a little bit before that. So, I mean, we can even trace the roots if we wanted to go there to just a long history that Lincoln Park Zoo has of um, 
behavior research and really trying to be a leader in, in that field um, with a lot of the work that happens with the, the grade eight team um, at the, the Fisher Center there at Lincoln Park Zoo. Um, and, and yeah, so there's kind of a long history of behavior research and really the inspiration for Zoo Monitor was really how to apply some of that stuff that was happening in a more rigorous research domain, but apply that in a uh, way that we could use it for the rest of the zoo um, from keepers, you know, volunteers and stuff like that using, um, using that data collection tool. And so we had some uh, pilot versions of uh, Zoo Monitor dating back to 2013. Um, but in 2014 is when Lincoln Park Zoo was awarded a national leadership grant by the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Um, so IMLS, that's a, a federal granting body in the U.S. that's helped actually move a lot of um, zoo um, tools and, and a lot of uh, zoo projects forward um, for our community. And that grant was really to expand those uh, pilot versions of the app and make it uh, publicly available. Um, and it's kind of an interesting origin story too for us because it got off to a pretty rough start. Um, our uh, developer that we had identified on the IMLS grant uh, went bankrupt at the start of our project. Um, but luckily we had a great relationship with Tony Neiman at uh, Zero Neiman Consulting. So that's the team behind uh, track software. Um, and he was able to help us build Zoomonitor in a very abbreviated timeline and release it back in 2016. And Tony's team at Zero Neiman have really been great partners with us and continue to sort of help us support and grow the Zoomonitor app. Wonderful. I mean, such a good example of why having good relationships and building, maintaining good relationships is important. And you also mentioned, um, of course, already at the beginning, you have volunteers. You also talk about uh, care staff. And we're going to go into a lot of, you know, the functionalities of it and who can operate it. So what I learned uh, from working with you that Zoom Monitor is a tool for recording and analyzing behavior. And as behavior, it can be an indicator of welfare. And, and it's related to all kinds of different welfare models in that sense, but not, the, not directly based on a single model. So can you talk a little bit more about what Zoom Monitor is? What can it do? Um, you know, is it mobile? Can you configure it? you know, add enclosures, because there's some really cool graphics on the Zoom Monitor website. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about the app? Yeah, of course. Um, so Zoom Monitor is a web app. Um, so that means it runs in a web browser. Um, and so we support either the Chrome or Safari web browsers. Um, it does work offline. So it actually stores in the, the web browser cache and, and can work offline. Um, so you create uh, projects uh, in Zoom Monitor record behavior, and you can do that with a number of different methods. Um, so some of the standardized sampling methods that we use, which are you know very widely uh, used and understood, are um, all occurrence tracking of specific events. Um, and so that's basically your your tally of how many times a behavior occurred. Um, you can also record behavior through continuous recording, which is recording the duration of how long a behavior uh, lasts for. And then um, the third sort of sampling method that we have in Zoomonitor is interval sampling or instantaneous point sampling, which might be more familiar with some of your audience. And that's where you're recording behavior at um, preset intervals throughout an observation. Um, you know, as you alluded to with the enclosures, you can also, um, one feature that we're very excited about is you can also upload images of habitat maps um, and you can plot locations of animals for recording that space use, you know, component. 
Um, and sort of after you've recorded all those observations, you can then upload uh, your data to cloud data storage. And that enables you to generate um, built-in reports in the Zoom Monitor platform, um, things like activity budgets um, and our heat maps. Um, and so the heat maps visualize basically how animals use the habitat space. And you can sort of see, you know, where their preferences are in that uh, space. So lots of great, um, lots of great options there for, for doing some behavior data recording. Yes, that's wonderful. And it's such also great that you can actually, you know, that it works offline because of course, if we are working with the animals or maybe there's just not good coverage uh, when we're observing, it's so nice that you can actually use this tool offline. Can you talk a little bit more about the heat maps? How does that work? Yeah, so um, you can, so you plot the locations of animals. And so that is with that interval um, or instantaneous point sampling that I mentioned. So let's say you have a, a 10 minute observation, you're plotting the locations of animals once a minute, per, per, for instance. Um, so you have these sort of 10 locations you've plotted, and then you can create these heat maps, which is basically um, fancy term, I think would be a, a kernel density um, a plot of it, but basically you see um, kind of a, a cloud, if you will, on your habitat map image, and you'll see like red areas uh, which is where the animals, you know, used um, more frequently. And then there'll be blue areas where the animals used, but less frequently. And so you can kind of visualize with these sort of, um, you know, uh, diagrams on, on top of your habitat map, um, you know, where they, where they were using their space, um, which is a really, really exciting feature, a really cool feature, and definitely makes uh, something unique with um, our Zoom Monitor platform for sure. Yes, that sounds wonderful, all this different layering. And, uh, and of course, also, it really clarifies um, because people might be thinking about how sometimes like infrared or other cameras are being used to uh, understand something about animals. Uh, but heat is actually here, the, the use, the usage, the frequency of use of the various areas. So thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, the term heat map does definitely strike some confusion um, out there. So I appreciate you clarifying that, uh, Sabrina. And I guess one other thing um, to maybe add to that too is just, you know, how much I think we've learned you can get out of just that space use recording. So obviously, you know, there's a ton of value in recording detailed behavior um, and space use, you know, plotting where animals are at in a habitat, you know, is obviously much more simple, you know, certainly it doesn't require as much training potentially as you would have teaching behaviors to a person. Um, but there's still, you know, so much insight you can get out of, you know, how animals are responding, how much of the space they're using, how their preferences change over time. Um, and that's definitely something I think in terms of one of the built-in graphs that we have, that's probably the one that we've used the most in, in building some uh, insights on what the animals are doing. Yes, and I think the, those things are so, because there's so much terminology, right? So I really appreciate you taking time to explain all these features and, um, and what they mean, you know, in this particular context. So that's wonderful. And we're definitely going to add, you know, some links to some of these uh, visuals so people can see what that looks like. So um, can you talk a little bit about what type of projects have been done? A few examples, uh, perhaps at your zoo or somewhere else, like um, research-wise. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing I should probably highlight is that we designed Zoom Monitor to be very flexible, um, much to the dismay of our developers at times, um, how flexible you know this uh, software can be. 
Um, and so those behavior recording methods I had mentioned, the all-occurrence uh, interval and continuous sampling, you can sort of combine in a project in sort of any way you'd like. And so there's kind of an infinite number of ways you can set up your project and how you want to record behavior. And it really comes back to, um, you know, what the questions are uh, for your project and, and, you know, what you're trying to, what sort of behaviors you're trying to document. Um, so, you know, some examples could be, you could do some general monitoring of time budgets with the interval sampling. So, um, activity budgets, uh, sort of thing. And then you could also be looking at, um, you know, for outdoor habitats, you could look at, um, that habitat usage throughout the year with the, you know, the space use and the heat maps. Um, you could set up a project to record, uh, specific behaviors of interest, you know, things like maybe breeding or aggression. Um, and, we even released a feature recently where you can plot those on a map. So you can even see for those, um, you know, brief uh, behaviors that occur, you know, where they're actually occurring in the space too, to give you a little bit more insight and information. Um, and that's, I guess, just kind of a, you know, just scraping the iceberg there, of, you know, the types of projects you can do. I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, lots of ways that I've seen by our Zoom Monitor community of different ways to adapt it and different questions to ask. I mean, you can certainly use it for audience evaluation research. You can do some uh, very different types of studies and th that we ever envisioned when we were designing it. Um, so it's been really great to see how it's been adapted by, um, you know, lots of different uh, users out there and just how customizable it is for them. That's wonderful. Yeah, like you say, it's probably, it was at the dismay of the developers, but as you already <laughs> alluded to, you know, preferences of animals or seasonal aspects or yeah, all the different things that we want to know from visitors to our animals, maybe keeper animal interaction, so many different aspects. So flexibility is so key uh, and depending on the question. So it's so great that you were able to <laughs> work with them and, and get it yeah. as flexible as possible uh, from a software yeah. uh, perspective. We love you, Tony. <laughs> Excellent. Um, great. Yes. Yeah, so does it actually, so we heard a little bit about what you have done with regards to different taxa. Is Zoom Monitor and the flexibility of Zoom, of Zoom Monitor, is this app really good for working with all kinds of taxa? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the focal animal sampling, so that is um, basically what ZooMonitor is designed around that I should have mentioned. So you um, are adding a specific individual into ZooMonitor and recording data on that uh, individual during an observation. And that's obviously an individually, in, in individual you can identify. Um, and that obviously, that approach can be applied to sort of any taxa. That's not specific to any one taxa. Um, however, there is, you know, a very recognized challenge in behavior monitoring for group living species. So species like um, fish or bird species where, you know, individual identifications is challenging, if not impossible, in a lot of those cases. Um, my work that, I, you know, I had mentioned that I did the study with piranhas. And of course, I came at that study, um, kind of just a little aside here, but came at that study having, you know, a little bit of a primate background. And when I started that project at Cliffhead Metro Park Zoo, I came into it thinking like, you know, I'm not going to be able to identify these prana at all. Like they're all going to look the same. And of course, very primatologist uh, focused there in my um, treatment of them. And, it, you know, I found that within like the first five minutes, I was able to individually identify all the prana. Um, so even a lot of these cases, I think where there are some group living species, 
you can certainly, you know, still individually identify. I think there's still challenges given the numbers for sure um, in recording the number of individuals that you'd have in some of those situations. Um, and one of the great things that we actually recently added into Zoom Monitor or are going to be adding in the next uh, month or so is uh, group sampling recording. And so I said, you know, um, currently it's focal animal sampling. So recording that individual that's identified. Um, so with the group sampling, you're going to be able to record the number of animals performing different behaviors. Um, so not individually identified, but recording based on a group. Um, and then you'll also be able to record uh, space use and basically be quickly plotting uh, non-identified animals on your habitat map. So still plotting a single animal, but you could rapidly plot, you know, 10 animals is just 10 taps, basically 10 touches on your map um, and generate those heat maps um, that you'd create, you know, with our normal focal animal monitoring, create those same heat maps, which is going to be really, really exciting. Yes, that's wonderful. And I think, like you said, you know, you can do uh, for a group and then these non-identified animals, but you can still, you know, animal welfare is about the individual experience. So really trying to see how can I come the closest to uh, saying something about the individual as well as perhaps the use of, you know, the habitat by a group, uh, a school of fish or something. And that's wonderful, of course, with uh, being able to add in the enclosure and your heat map. Uh, layering that you can also see where, for example, the fishes are using the various areas. And then if you maybe do enrichment or do other things, add more hiding uh, spaces or plants or something like that so that you can track that even if you can't see everybody individually. So that sounds really wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I should also add too, we, um, we will also have sort of an adapted version of our activity budget um, visual too, you know, for those groups too. So you could also look at sort of time, time budgeting too with, um, that group data. So there will be some different reporting options there. Great. Now, all this sounds really, you know, fabulous as in with all the features that it has. And some people listening might be like, that's probably going to cost the world, or it's going to be very, very difficult, uh, to manage. Can you say a little bit about who can access Zoom Monitor? You know, how much does it cost or, you know, can we use it anywhere in the world? Because you already mentioned you have people using it everywhere. But uh, can you say a little bit more about the access to Zoom Monitor? Yeah, of course. Uh, so Zoom Monitor is available to the public. So really anyone can register and download the app. Um, as our name would suggest, uh, Zoos and Aquariums were our primary organizations we had in mind when building Zoom Monitor. Um, but really since releasing the app, you know, we've seen it adopted by a number of other groups, which has been super exciting to see. So, you know, sanctuaries, universities, um, many others. I mean, even animal like dog rescue uh, centers. Um, we've had a few using Zoom Monitor. So it's been really great to see it applied in lots of different settings. I mean, I think the, the base of what Zoom Monitor is, is a behavior data collection tool, right? And so that can obviously be applied to really any space that you have animals. Um, and so it's been exciting to kind of see that um, you know, growth across other communities uh, beyond the Zoom and Aquarium group. Um, regarding uh, pricing, we do offer a free plan of Zoom Monitor available for accredited organizations. Um, and, you know, when you register, you, you select which accreditation group you are a part of. Um, in choosing the accreditation groups, we tried to be as uh, all-encompassing as possible. So for Zoos and Aquariums, we chose all regional associations that are WAZA members. Um, so obviously you have 
quite a few zoos and aquariums around the world that can uh, access Zoo Monitor for free under that plan. Um, sanctuaries, for sanctuaries, we chose the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. Um, so any sanctuary accredited by them would have access to that free plan. Um, and if you're not uh, part of uh, an accredited association, you can still register for Zoo Monitor. Um, there is a nominal fee, uh, annual subscription of $50 per year. Um, and I guess, you know, I should also probably step back and say, you know, we'd really love to make the app free for everyone. You know, accessibility is sort of a central part of the mission of Lincoln Park Zoo. It's one of the nation's only free zoos here in the U.S. Um, unfortunately, the, the cloud storage of data, which, you know, provides that centralized data management and also enables those built-in reports of things like the heat maps, that's really where that cost lies. Um, and so for those free plans I mentioned, if you're wondering how those free plans can occur. That's really the support of our developer, Azir Neiman Consulting and Tony, um, generously helping support our community um, and those institutions. Wonderful. Yes, it's so important that all kinds of tools are, are available to anybody really caring for animals. So I think it's so, such great that you have, you know, really found different ways of getting that zoo monitor app out and it's indeed so wonderful that so many different people and you know animal species if you like are using it or breeds uh, so that is is so, so great to hear and sometimes you indeed don't know that like we didn't know that when we did the 24 7 animal welfare workshop that uh, hannah buchanan smith and myself developed for zoo animals we had no idea that we would be working like you say on dogs or horses and but it's so <laughs> wonderful when people take it and run with it uh, and, sure. and try and do something uh, good with it so that's great and I think that also points to probably why uh, Zoo Monitor has grown uh, so quickly, right? Can you say a little bit more about that uh, with regards to perhaps the attention to evaluating welfare or species uh, typical output? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, kind of there are, I would probably argue there are probably two big reasons for that, you know, quick Zoo Monitor adoption around the world. And I I would say the first is probably that accessibility piece. Um, certainly for our zoo and aquarium community, having uh, a free option, a free tool is a really great price point for our group. Um, and we've focused on really trying to make it user friendly too. So that's something that we've um, really been kind of a key focus of the start of, you know, when we were envisioning what Zoo Monitor is, it really was that uh, very user friendly tool that's not necessarily designed for your traditional researcher, but designed more for your applied, um, you know, animal care professional. Um, so that's definitely been kind of a key uh, focus and something we're even moving forward with, with new work that we're doing in Monitor, really focusing that um, user perspective uh, in everything we're doing. Um, I guess the other probably a big reason I would say that Zoomonitor has grown quickly is really that increasing attention to to welfare um, and evaluating that those sort of output or animal-based measures um, as they could be termed. Um, and so obviously with Zoo Monitor, you have behavior. And so obviously, you know, with behavior, you're always going to be having that animal-based um, insight, you know, in, into those discussions. So I think that that's been another um, key focus and interest of people looking to use Zoo Monitor and what they can learn about their animals. Yes. So, and can you also, because of course, thinking about, you know, you talked to, about, you know, the cost and, and storing that data, 
there might be people wondering, like listening to it, going, oh, you know, I might actually want to start using this, but I'm concerned about, you know, what happens to that data, who has access to my data. Can you talk a little bit about pot potential concerns people might have around that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that is definitely, um, you know, the structure we have of Zoom Monitor right now, everything that you would record and upload is uh, siloed um, in your account. So only you have access to your information, um, any of your, you know, any of your data, any of your project configurations, any of that uh, sort of stuff. When you register, you can select to share sort of anonymous data with us. That's really more for a marketing perspective. So that's like, you know, how many projects you have and how many observers you have, um, just a general number for your account. But anything specific data-wise is very much um, siloed in your account, only you would have access to. And you also own that data too. So if for whatever reason you wanted us to, um, you know, remove any of that data, definitely just reach out to us. You know, we can make any of that kind of stuff um, happen. So yeah, you're the owner of that. Wonderful. Yeah, that's always good. To, people are, especially in this day and age where there's so much out there with regards to open access data, which is also a good thing for many, but also for, you know, the importance of being able to silo or keep data confidential uh, for various reasons. So that's really, really good to hear. Now, of course, um, WASA, for example, has um, one of their goals is uh, for 2023 to have animal welfare assessments in place for uh, zoos and aquariums, associations. And some of these uh, accrediting uh, organizations are also mandating animal welfare assessments. So do you think that the zoo monitor can address uh, that particular need? Yeah, sir. certainly I think it can support those efforts for sure. Um, you know, like as I was saying, you know, that behavior data, that's always going to be that animal-based uh, source of information. And some of the most important information, I would argue, on how the animals are doing that, that we have available to us right now. Um, I think the big challenge comes uh, in really scaling behavior monitoring. So I think we all recognize that there's definitely a need to have those animal-based sources of of truth when we're looking at uh, welfare assessments. But I think the challenge comes in, that's great. How do we do it for every animal at our institution, right? And that's certainly a challenge. Um, I think Zoo Monitor um, does help with that compared to some other options with, you know, paper data collection and, and having to do a lot of data entry um, and then manual data analysis. Obviously, it can really speed up and accelerate that process. Um, but there's still going to be a resources uh, question there, which I, I don't see any tool being able to um, get around. But I guess I would argue that um, Zoom Monitor really, you know, Zoom Monitor, any sort of behavior monitoring tool out there is really going to be an important piece of those uh, welfare assessments as they kind of develop and grow, um, you know, at different, for different groups. Yes. And you know, there, there might be students or people listening that actually are not maybe from the welfare field or they have just started. Can you talk a little bit to what you mean when you say, you know, input resources or animal-based uh, data? What, does, what do these terms mean? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, thank you, Sabrina. Um, so, you know, we sort of make this distinction between... Um, uh, the resources we're providing the animals and obviously how the animals are responding. So that's the distinction of, you know, what we're providing versus 
what they're experiencing, right? And so with the, um, in, in uh, AZA and in the US, we typically are uh, terming that inputs and outputs. So inputs are the things that they're, um, provi- we're providing to them or the environment is providing. And then the output is really their response uh, to those inputs. And obviously, you know, historically, with the growth of, you know, welfare science, a lot, there was a lot of focus on inputs. It's obviously much easier to measure than knowing how an animal feels and what an animal is experiencing. Um, and so, and it's obviously a lot easier to sort of mandate that input side. But I think, you know, as our views on what welfare is, that it is really the individual experience uh, of an animal, um, you know, we, we certainly see those, the challenges of those inputs. And certainly they have their role. Um, but I think there also needs to be that uh, focus, which I think a lot of different groups are recognizing. There also needs to be that balanced focus, also thinking about outputs and really what is the animal telling you. And, and for a lot of reasons, obviously, that's the you know, more direct source of truth on animal welfare, if that's what we're talking about. Um, and also you know, that there's very individual differences. So you could give the same input to a group of animals and they could, you know, each individual might respond differently. So understanding it from an input perspective only can kind of cause some limitations there. And so where zoom monitor kind of obviously fits into that is really providing, focusing on that output and providing us a, a tool to sort of build up those efforts as they sort of grow and there's more attention um, around that. Yes, thank you so much for clarifying that. And because it's so important, right, to really get uh, clear about what is it that we are doing, what is the care that we're giving versus what is the animal experiencing. And also, as you have really talked through in all this podcast is about, you know, different preferences and also seasonal changes and, and the importance also of kind of following, tracking the animal's uh, experiences over time, right? Because that is something that is very difficult in, if you're just looking in one moment, you can say something uh, probably, but you would have to compare, contrast it to, you know, what is the animal perhaps usually doing or what do we know about those animals uh, in other moments in time, right? So you really talked about Mm -hmm. the importance of really, you know, tracking this and you are very, very passionate about data-driven, you know, decision-making, the data-driven culture. Can you talk a little bit more to that about why is that so important to have this evidence-based approach? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's something that, you know, a lot of us say that we're data-driven and I think the challenge comes into, in a lot of cases, are we truly being data-driven and how, you know, and how we are expecting uh, information and how we're u- using information. And I think that's certainly in our community growing, you know, I think historically animal care was very much uh, maybe more art than science. And I think there is more of that blend of art and science uh, now. Um, and obviously, you know, a graph and, you know, data, it's not the full story. Right. And I think that that's the, the part that I think gets missed a lot of times is that we're really saying like, you can have prescriptive decision-making out of that. And really it's, it's a collaboration between multiple groups. That piece though does tell us the things that we miss obviously with our, you know, when, when we walk past the animal a couple of times a day, we don't see these larger patterns or see these things happening over time. Um, that's just human nature, you know, to sort of miss that bigger picture, long-term view. Um, and so I think, you know, really 
having data help uh, supplement basically the limitations of of our perception there and, and how we think about those bigger patterns, um, I think is really important. And kind of moving past sort of, and, and you know, I think one of the stages, I mean, I think in other fields, you'll see um, discussions about data maturity, right? And so that's a term that's used a lot in you know, different business contexts and stuff like that. Um, of, you know, how well an organization is uh, expecting data, utilizing data, and how, you know, much of the culture of it is built around uh, that sort of decision making. Um, and I think, you know, we can sort of maybe even use that term and think about that for zoos and aquariums. And I think one of the starts is really data collection. I think that that's really the, the start on that path to being more of a data-driven um, culture and organization. Um, but, you know, certainly the thing that I think we, we challenge ourselves at Lincoln Park that, and, you know, admittedly, we even struggle at times is really moving past this data collection. If we're not getting insights out of this data, why, why are we recording this data? It doesn't have the value um, and it doesn't have the, you know, the purpose. Um, and so really trying to focus on that end goal of, you know, what's the, you know, what are you trying to learn and are you learning it with how you're collecting the data? I think that that's definitely kind of an important um, perspective to always have in this process and certainly in lots of uh, others, I would say. Great. I had not heard about uh, this term, uh, data maturation. So that's very interesting. I'll uh, definitely have to look that up. And you also talked about, you know, as um, you talked about art and science and supplementing, uh, like what we know and how do we turn what we think we know or what we think the animals are experiencing into into data. And of, and of course, you work with a lot of different people from different backgrounds. Some are, you know, professional animal care uh, staff, some are volunteers that you have trained. So can you talk to um, the challenges of like scaling a behavior monitor program? You know, how do you do that um, with Zoo Monitor at Lincoln Park Zoo? And also specifically around the human aspects uh, of this? Yeah, for sure. So that's certainly, you know, the, a key component for it. So. Um, at Lincoln Park Zoo, we have our ongoing uh, behavior monitoring program that we developed. Um, and that ongoing approach was a little bit different. So, you know, sort of in my past at Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, it was a little bit more of a research um, hypothesis driven kind of approach to projects um, for most of the projects that I had worked on. So that's sort of, you know, there's a start date, an end date, and you analyze the data, and then you present results. However, the, the challenge you can run into, and obviously, having that question up front definitely helps structure that, you know, that what you're trying to get out of it. Um, but the challenge that you run into is obviously like one month after you've presented those results, is that pattern you just presented still happening? You know, after we stop that data collection, after we stop that monitoring, it's all, it's basically like we're closing our eyes and we're, you know, we're really not sure if this, uh, you know, if our findings are, are still there and sort of the ongoing uh, monitoring program that we have, it's certainly a little less hypothesis driven in how we've set it up. Um, but it does give us that uh, data set we can draw from as questions arise um, at, at any point, you know, we have this amazing data set going back years now um, that we can really digest and, and get some insight out of. Um, so our, uh, monitoring program at Lincoln Park is primarily driven through our amazing volunteers. So we do have some help from our keepers, but really that our backbone um, is our volunteers. We, um, 
have a pretty rigorous training process for our volunteers. Um, we don't require them to have any sort of advanced knowledge of animal behavior uh, before joining the program. Um, at the end of the, the training, so they go through a multi-week uh, training um, where we teach them sort of the projects that they'll be starting on, teach them the behaviors, um, how to identify them, how to record space use, and really use like landmarks in the habitat to kind of make sure that they're accurately plotting uh, individuals in a space. Um, at the end of that uh, sort of training process, we conduct reliability tests uh, with them. Um, and that is a process to really ensure that there is um, consistent, that data is being recorded consistent, consistently, um, which is a very important piece, you know, as you sort of grow and have lots of observers. So sort of at our height in the good old pre-COVID times, um, we had about 40 to 50 uh, volunteers in our program. And so with 40 to 50 eyes out there, making sure that they're all kind of recording things consistently, as you can imagine, becomes very important. Um, and one of the, you know, really great uh, built-in uh, tools that we've added is for reliability reliability testing. So that's actually something we've released, um, I think, uh, last year. And you can, um, you know, do some of those built-in analyses to identify your reliability um, scores between, you know, sort of that gold standard. So that process works as like a gold standard person um, would be observing the animal simultaneously as a, a volunteer or somebody in training would uh, watch the animal. They record behavior simultaneously and then sort of compare what one person recorded to the, what the other person recorded. And you can do those sort of um, comparisons uh, directly in Zoom Monitor, which uh, hopefully, I mean, certainly helps us run through those a lot quicker um, and hopefully helps a lot of our users and members out there. Um, and, you know, with the volunteers, we've been able to really grow our program. Um, so we're up to about 30 species uh, around the zoo that we monitor. And then being able to use that data to help answer those questions that managers have has been um, you know, really valuable. Um, and we've also, I should mention too, that we've also incorporated that um, output data, the animal-based data into our welfare discussion tool. So we have a welfare discussion tool process, which is more of our zoo-wide uh, annual welfare evaluation piece. Um, and it's a really a discussion about uh, many different aspects. Um, but for those species that are being monitored with zoo monitor data, we also incorporate that additional layer of information into that discussion process, which has been really, um, really valuable uh, when we can contribute that. Wonderful, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you making that distinction of the hypothesis-driven projects and ongoing monitoring. Uh, that's very valuable and so important uh, to remember. Do you have any advice for institutions who are actually looking to start a behavior monitoring program who are listening to this or are learning through, you know, other means about it? And they're like, how do I even start this? Where, you know, what do I do first? Yeah. Uh, my first advice is forget everything I just said. Um, so I think, <laughs> you know, in describing kind of where our program is at Lincoln Park Zoo, I always sort of have to qualify that because this is the evolution of a program that started back in 2014. So this is six years later. This is certainly not, you know, the start of a program. And I think some people hear 40 to 50 volunteers, 30 species. You know, obviously we have a Zoo Monitor Research Associate helping us. Tasha does, you know, so much of the logistics of making this program exist for us. Um, and I think that's very intimidating. And I would argue that that's not at all should be the vision, you know, when you 
are wanting to start a behavior monitoring program. I really would uh, argue that probably the most important thing is to really start focused. Um, so kind of contrary to what I was saying with sort of the behavior, uh, you know, sort of the ongoing monitoring versus research hypothesis driven, I do think starting and building, if you are new to behavior data collection, focusing with some of those hypothesis driven questions and really um, starting with a small number of species with high priority questions is probably a good approach at the start. Um, you know, historically, I think we've put a little bit of a greater emphasis on data collection than analysis. And certainly that's something I've seen with programs looking to start new monitoring programs. There's a, a big focus on, you know, how do they get all this data? Um, but it's sort of that, it's sort of a trap, right? You have all this data and then what? Right, and so you need to really think about the additional investment that you have um, with that data after you've collected it, and that's where I think you know trying to grow too fast can really limit you because you're not able to really get some of those insights out in a timely manner for managers, and can really shake some of that foundation of what you're trying to build there. Um, and so, you know, I guess I would really argue that kind of trying to start with that um, data-driven culture and really trying to build. Uh, some of that at the start with smaller focused projects and, and having that really take root and having, you know, more comfort around the visualizations that you're, you're representing, um, figuring out how, you know, you're presenting data, what sort of meetings you're presenting it, what sort of format, what works for your institution. There is no one size fits all in this process by any means, um, but how it, you know, can certainly be applied in, in your situation, I think is probably kind of that first start. And then, you know, once you feel everyone is comfortable with that, I think that's when the question then gets into expanding the monitoring program um, more widely. And that, you know, that piece is certainly, like I said, you know, that's a little bit of a resource driven piece for us. We have our amazing volunteers. And if you do have a volunteer program, I certainly would encourage you to consider um, seeing if they can help support that process. Um, but, you know, there's certainly other models out there of having, you know, uh, keepers having a, a set amount of time in the day to, to do observations. That's something that we're um, looking at having some of our keepers do more uh, data collection, too. So there's certainly more um, options out there beyond just the volunteer program. But that's definitely been um, a very useful approach to, to help address some of the resource limitations and kind of growing a program widely at the start there. Wonderful. Yes, it's so important. It's like, you know, we wouldn't start running a marathon, right? At least that would be, we're likely not going to be successful and it's going to hurt very badly. So, you know, we might start with a 5k or, you know, three, three and a half miles or whatever the conversion is. But uh, yeah, so great advice, you know, start small and see what works for your facility. And also about, you know, reaching out other zoos and aquariums. You're of course, a testament of that have already done it successfully. So um, I'm sure there's so much also support and help out there, which also, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about later about training opportunities, but could you share first a few examples of the Zoom monitor um, that you've used at Lincoln Park Zoo or elsewhere um, that, uh, that actually worked different types of projects? Yeah, certainly I'd love to. Um, so we recently had a paper published a few months ago uh, describing some of our space use monitoring that we've done in Zoo Monitor to evaluate uh, shade use behavior of our animals uh, at Lincoln Park Zoo. Um, specifically, we looked at um, one of our species, our uh, Takin, and you know, sort of how they use their habitats in summer and winter, 
um, and then also how their space use changed after installation of a shade structure. And so that was a really, really valuable um, process for us to sort of see how much of their space use can be dictated by where shade is available in their habitat and how important it is to install that shade structure. And, you know, secondarily to that, how important it is to actually evaluate and make sure that they are using that shade structure. I think what we found is they certainly did use it, but not as much as we might have hoped. So there are some things that I think we kind of took from that of how maybe we can even provide better shade structures for the um, for animals. Um, that's sort of a, kind of a retrospective look in a habitat. We've also been trying to more proactively apply our data as well into the design of our new spaces. And so um, the next uh, kind of big um, investment there that we're looking at is our Kovler uh, Lion House that's currently under construction. And so we've been able to use data from the zoo's uh, previous Pride of Lions. Um, and using that data, we identified preferred areas of the space. So things like our copy rocks, heat rocks, um, what sort of temperature ranges they were using them. Um, so lots of really valuable information for, for us and also for the designers. And then we were even able to make some specific recommendations for things like the size of our copy rocks, for instance. So we saw with our previous data set, our um, male lion Sahar and how he used the copy rocks. And actually one of the rocks that might not have been large enough for his comfort zone. Um, he didn't really use that much. And so we were able to sort of set our minimum size recommendation to be a bit larger than that size um, rock to, you know, enable an adult male lion to, to comfortably um, use it. And, you know, we're certainly very excited once the habitat reopens to, it's going to be really exciting to sort of see, you know, start monitoring and really see how our new lions are using that space. Um, fingers crossed they don't make us look bad. Um, <laughs> That's just wonderful. And I love how you yeah. talk about, you know, this retrospection and then using, you know, information to for future design. And also, so importantly, you know, often many of these things are kind of dictated in guidelines. So how this information can also help, you know, for us to create better guidelines for animals, right? Care mm -hmm. guidelines so that other, yeah. you know, people housing lions might also think uh, about those details. And also for those of you listening and heard uh, Takin, uh, Takin uh, is a species of ungulate from the Himalayas. If you're like wondering what, what was that species I just heard? So that was that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I, have you got another story for us, uh, Jason, of how you've used uh, Zoom Monitor for perhaps another species? Yeah, for sure. So um, you had mentioned um, outside of Lincoln Park, so elsewhere. Um, and, you know, one project I've been super excited to help support in a very small way, but really follow as a fan, is a multi-institutional project looking at uh, sand tiger shark exhibit use and reproductive behavior. Um, so this is a project being uh, spearheaded by uh, CESARC, a group here in the U.S., um, that's the Southeast uh, Zoo Alliance for Reproductive, Re Reproduction and Conservation, and also by North Carolina Aquariums. Um, and so that team is really kind of built, um, you know, really pushing Zoom Monitor well beyond what we had designed it for. Um, it's been super exciting to see. So they have sort of, from the grassroots approach, taken what is a siloed single institution tool, which is what Zoom Monitor is, and really, um, you know, built a, a number of aquariums uh, across the country kind of using Zoom Monitor to record data and sort of sharing that, um, you know, standardized data to get you know, these broader insights on sand tiger sharks um, and how they're faring. 
Um, so it's been really awesome to kind of see that, um, you know, that, that move forward and, and all the work that they're doing there. And they're just, they're also pushing the bounds of some of the data analysis stuff. It's been a really great, uh, really great to see, um, big fans of theirs. Um, and I guess I should also mention that, you know, given that that data is siloed in each account, I'm sure there's a ton of other great work happening out there that I don't know anything about. So to be perfectly honest, like, I mean, that group, I, I sort of helped a little bit at the start because it started a few years ago, but you know, I hear about some of the great projects happening with Zoom Monitor at conferences at the same time everyone else is, you know, here I go out there for the first time too. So that's been really exciting to see. And I love, I love those surprises of, you know, seeing great work that people are doing and then mentioning that, you know, they're using Zoom Monitor really certainly makes us proud um, that we're able to help the community kind of build that work. Excellent. That's just so wonderful. Would you like to see, you know, things added to Zoom Monitor or like the evolution of this app? In what ways do you see that? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I had mentioned that San Tiger Shark uh, project, um, and that's not really what Zoom Monitor was designed for. So let's design Zoom Monitor for that. How about that? Um, so I'm very excited to share with uh, your audience some really big news in the Zoom Monitor world. Um, we were recently awarded a little bit earlier this year a national leadership grant, our second national leadership grant, um, to expand the Zoom Monitor app to support uh, multi-institutional project sharing. And so this is going to be a, a three-year project. Um, we're looking to add new uh, collaborative sharing options. So uh, kind of, you know, how the Santiago Shark uh, project had developed where they were doing everything grassroots and you know, organizing some Zoom calls to make sure everyone is setting up their project the same way and recording it the same way. A lot of those pain points will hopefully be resolved moving forward with this um, and really be able to share and, and you know, market your projects to the wider community, which is going to be really exciting to see that take off. Um, we're also looking at having uh, virtual training tools. So obviously a big piece of that too is not only just giving people, you know, how you're recording data, but also make sure that they're recording it consistently with you know, how you'd want them to record it. And so ways that you can uh, do that virtually um, will be uh, part of it. And then also looking at some advanced reporting. And that's something that um, I think all of us are very, very excited about. Um, and that's going to be both for multi-institutional studies as well as uh, current single institution studies. And we know, you know, I had mentioned the reports in Zoom Monitor. And they are, I, I should probably mention, there are some basic reports. There are a few graphs. There's lots of ways you can filter it and lots of information you can get out of it. Um, but there are some limitations there that people have run into. It's certainly better than nothing, but with this, you know, with this work and kind of where we're looking to move it, I think it's really going to be addressing, um, you know, a lot of those challenges that people have had of really getting this data and then that, you know, what's next, you know, how to apply it. So that's going to be really exciting to see that kind of evolve. Um, to help sort of guide this big project. So this is a big three-year project. We have a bunch of um, really great colleagues that's going to be helping give feedback. So kind of, as I mentioned earlier with that, you know, really user-centered uh, focus with our design and development, um, that's going to be really valuable for us. So, you know, to make sure that the end product here that we're talking about is going to be a community supported uh, and understood uh, thing. Um, I guess I should also share with your audience that you, Sabrina, are part of that team. So very much thank you, Sabrina. Um, 
And it's, you know, it's really such an amazing uh, moment for something like this. I think with the growth of Zoom Monitor, you know, there's such huge potential for collaboration. Um, we know these types of multi-institutional projects that really address, you know, all of the challenges that, you know, zoo and aquarium researchers and other groups have had with small sample sizes that we face. Um, it really helps alleviate some of those and really helps broaden the, um, you know, ability of our research to have those impacts and really kind of the gold standard, um, you know, for advancing knowledge and best practices we know is some of this multi-institutional work. Um, and just really excited to see Zoom Monitor help, you know, grow collaborative research in our community and just some of the amazing insights uh, that are going to come from it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'm absolutely honored and delighted to uh, meet up with you and, and colleagues later this month to talk about this incredible big project. And Jason, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and today, you know, to talk about obviously your background, which is very valuable for people starting in this career and, and looking to you as, as a role model. And of course, you know, the importance of relationships, whether it's building relationships with the people who are doing the software to our volunteers helping the care staff and all the knowledge the scientists all working together. And really also this important of, you know, this data and evidence-based decision-making in this data culture that you are so passionate about. And I really look forward to having you uh, on another podcast or on a webinar on the practical animal welfare science to show us all this amazing work that you and others are doing around the world with Zoom Monitor. So thank you again so much for being on the podcast today. And I very much look forward to another uh, moment with you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, I really appreciate having me, Sabrina, and definitely um, looking forward to sharing some stuff, uh, you know, with your audience as the project moves forward. That'd be really great. Thank you.